We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. So this week, I got a lot of like texts and phone calls and messages of different people giving me different kinds of news all throughout the whole week. Uh, some of it was good news. Some of it was bad news, right? Some of it was literal news, like, hey, check out this article. Did you see what's in the news right now? Uh, and some of it was personal news, things going on in, in their own lives. Uh, and it could be news like, hey, it, it looks like I got this job. Good news. Uh, some of it was news like, we're in the hospital. Bad news. And all of these types of news, uh, what they do is they, they hit differently, don't they? Like they, they stir a response in you when you hear it. Now, some of those uh, things were things that had already happened. Some of those things were maybe preemptive news. Uh, like you, you could come back later and go, you know, the job fell through and I don't know what I'm going to do. And that high that you got comes crashing down, right? Or, or the diagnosis was false and everything's okay, right? Uh, and so sometimes that news when on hearing doesn't actually land the same way in experience, it's kind of like uh, there's Jimmy Kimmel used to do this thing where he would ask parents right after Halloween, tell your kids that you ate all their Halloween candy, get it on video, send it in, and we'll put it on, on our late show, right? And so you'd have these like parents telling their kids, I'm sorry, I got really hungry last night and I ate all your Halloween candy and kids would just go nuts, like they're livid. And at the end, they'd be like, yeah, I'm sorry, Jimmy Kimmel told me to say that. That was the line they were supposed to use. And then all these kids are like, I don't know who Jimmy Kimmel is, but I hate that dude. <laughs> <laughs> and so this like terrible news for them, and then it ends up being like, hey, it's not that bad. Or that could work in the reverse too. Like, so those of you who are parents, try this. Tell your kids that you're going to Disneyland <laughs> with no plans at all of going. See how that goes for you. I did it once. It wasn't on purpose, uh, just a slip of the, of the tongue. When our kids were younger, we picked them up from school, and they're like, hey, what are we doing today? And I just thought it was so absurd that surely they would get the joke, because there's no way that we were driving to Disneyland that day. <laughs> That's how I thought, because I knew our budget, but they don't know our budget. <laughs> so we're going to Disneyland. And my wife's like, what are you doing? And she had to like, you know, clean things up a little bit. She's like, dad sometimes tells jokes that nobody else is in on those jokes. He's not very good at telling jokes. And she knows this from experience because one time many years ago, before we were actually officially dating, uh, the kids call it talking, which I talk all the time, but we were talking. And so she called me and I was at work and I was like, what up, girl? <laughs> and she goes, what are you doing right now? And I was like, oh, nothing. I'm just writing you a song. I was not. She got a little bit excited, and I had to write a song really quick. It was terrible. She still makes me sing it to this day. So, no, not for you. Some things are meant to be private. So, I had to figure out, I got to make this experience land now, right? Here's the thing. Uh, news 
when you hear it, it is one thing, but when you experience it, it's a whole other thing. And the reality is most of those examples I just gave are not really news. It's lying, in my case. <laughs> or it's like a preemptive hope, you know, or, or a preemptive warning. But what news really is, is when something actually happens. It's telling of an event that has taken place. It has occurred. And in Matthew 4, we see that Jesus continues sharing the news that John had already started sharing. It's the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. This has happened. And Jesus is stating the kingdom is here among you because Jesus has come near. And not only does Jesus state that this has happened, but he backs it up. And what we just saw in chapter four is a summarized version of what's gonna play out over the next several chapters of Matthew, that Jesus announces and preaches and teaches good news. The kingdom of heaven is here. And then he displays it, he demonstrates it. At the end of chapter four, it starts talking about how he goes out and he's healing people. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. Well, guess what? We're going to turn the page, right, in the coming weeks, and we're going to see chapters five through seven, which we call famously the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew has another uh, title for that. It's the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is preaching a sermon about the kingdom of heaven. He begins by saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on for three chapters describing what the kingdom is like and teaching people how to live in it faithfully. And then you turn to chapter eight and what does he do? He starts demonstrating it. Chapter eight is filled with him going and healing people, casting out demons, rescuing people from this kingdom of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven. And so, Right here at the end of chapter four, we just get a little, Matthew says, this is what's coming, right? It's kind of like, if you've ever done like a speaker's thing, they tell you, uh, tell them what you're going to tell them and then tell them and then tell them what you just told them, right? It's a, that's your intro and then the meat of what you're saying and then your conclusion. That's kind of what happened here. Matthew's telling us what he's about to tell us in chapter four. Here's what's coming over the next several chapters. Jesus teaches and preaches Good news, the kingdom is here. And then he demonstrates it. He backs it up and lives it out. He gives us glimpses of it. He lets us see. Do you see? Light is breaking into the darkness. This is a beautiful thing. And it's something we're gonna see in a moment too, that he's inviting each and every one of us into as well. But before we get there, I don't wanna skip over something that maybe many of us as readers have a tendency to skip over. It said at the beginning of what we read, verse 12, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. Now that's important. And he's going to start talking now about Capernaum and, and the land of Zebulon and Naphtali. And what does all that mean? Who cares? It's geography. We skip past it. We get to the message, right? Uh, but this geography matters. And, and the relationship with John here matters. If you remember, where was Jesus said to be from? Jesus of Nazareth, right? Who did we say John was to Jesus? He was a, a relative of some kind. He was a cousin. 
That's what we're told of, of their mothers. Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. Jesus and John are like second or third or some type of cousin to one another from the same region. Catch those words. Jesus just heard that his friend, his family, someone he loves, someone who came preparing the way for him was put in prison. And likely he knows what's coming next for him. And where does he go? He returns home to be with family. Jesus has fully immersed himself in humanity. He feels and experiences emotion like we do. He loves and is connected with others like we are in a deeper way than we are. Jesus hears this news of John being put in prison and he goes home. And then in in Matthew, we just get this short little statement here. And then after leaving Nazareth, but Luke gives us a little more insight. Luke telling that very same story tells us exactly why Jesus left Nazareth, what went down while he was there. And so if we go to Luke chapter four, Jesus shows up, he's in Nazareth, in his hometown, and he's in the temple and he opens a scroll from Isaiah and he stands and he proclaims this. He reads this from the scroll of Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He is proclaiming good news. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus says this about himself and he rolls up the scroll and he sits back down. Now here's the thing, right after that, it says people were astounded by him. But then something changes. And what's interesting about this before we see the change is Jesus actually stopped mid-sentence. Because if we go to that text in Isaiah, which I think that's our next one. Uh, Nope, I didn't put it up there. Skip that, go back to Luke. (laughs) If, If you read that text in Isaiah, at the end of that, when he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor in Isaiah, it goes on to finish the sentence to say, and the vengeance and the wrath of the Lord. And the way that the ancient Jewish people uh, would have read this, the way they would have heard this, is they had become accustomed now at this point in their lives to know this distinction that the year of the Lord's favor is for us, Israel, because we're God's chosen people, and the wrath and the vengeance is for all the other nations, for those Gentiles who don't know God. And instead, Jesus says, hey, I'm coming to proclaim good news. He stops right there. He rolls up the scroll, sits down, and they're all amazed and like, what's going on? And then Jesus continues to have conversation with them and explains a little bit of why he stopped right there. He reminds them, you know, when Elijah, the prophet, uh, was going and, and he was coming to widows, there were all kinds of widows in Israel at that day he went to a foreign widower and he helped her. He says, you know, Elisha, the next prophet after him, there are all kinds of people with leprosy and skin diseases in Israel, but he went to this guy Naaman, a Syrian, and God rescued him. And what Jesus is saying is, you are not going to listen. You are not going to receive this news of the kingdom. And now this message is gonna spread out to others. And at that moment, 
the amazement and wonder of who this teacher is turns into anger and violence. Let's continue reading in Luke 4. What happens after he says that? Then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, I'm the one bringing this good news. And then if we jump ahead after he tells them about Elijah and Elisha, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I don't know what that looked like. He just walks right through them. But do you see that? Like they're in the temple worshiping. Jesus says, you've hardened your heart so much you won't hear this good news, but now it's available to others as well. And that made them murderously angry. They wanted to kill him. They would get that one day, but not that day. Jesus still had good news to bring to people. And so he leaves Nazareth, his hometown, and he goes to this other place. He goes to Capernaum. And if we were to look on a map, this is all in the region of Galilee, okay? So you got a region of Galilee, his hometown is Nazareth, and he travels up north, more by the Galilean Sea, to a place called Capernaum. And in that region, uh, there are two tribes of Israel. Do you remember Jacob had 12 sons? And those 12 sons ended up becoming these 12 tribes of Israel. And all these tribes were named after those sons, and two of them were Zebulon and Naphtali. And these were the regions allotted to them when they got into the promised land, when they came into Canaan. That this is their home. This is where those tribes settled in. And the history of Zebulon and Naphtali is that these people, who were some of the first people that other nations, as they came into that land, that they would meet. They were also some of the first people who would adopt the gods and the customs of these other lands who came in. They were some of the first people who turned their backs on the kingdom of God and started living in the ways of other kingdoms. And so God pronounced a discipline on them, a judgment on them. And because of that, they ended up being occupied by foreign nations. I said Syria, not Siri. Okay. That recorded like my whole thing so far, by the way, when I said that a long time ago. Because of that, they end up having the, the Assyrians come in and take them captive. So there's darkness over their land, a dark kingdom now. So in Isaiah 9, it says this. Now we can go back to that Isaiah script. In Isaiah 9, God, though, says it's not always going to be that way. Zebulon and Naphtali. This is what he says. There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. He humbled them. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. This is what was quoted for us in verses 15 through 16 in Matthew 4. What we're being shown here is that Jesus has come to bring good news to those who are living in bad news. Jesus has come to bring light to those who are in darkness. And listen, he's come to bring it to the people who have even gotten to those places in their own doing. 
the very people who, who rejected him before and were now living in darkness, Jesus comes to bring good news and you now can be invited back into the kingdom of heaven. And so for us here right now, there's a lot of time on, on geography stuff so that we could hear this in Phoenix, Arizona in 2024. Many of us are living in the land of darkness. Many of us are building up our own kingdoms. And Jesus has come to say, good news, the kingdom of God has come here. It's in your midst. Even though you see darkness and gloom around you, it is sprouting up like a healthy plant in the midst of weeds and hard soil. And nothing will stop it, and it will overcome, and you can be invited to come and live into it. And what is that kingdom? What does it look like? The end of Matthew shows us. The end of Matthew 4. Jesus starts going and demonstrating now. Listen to what he said. After he calls the disciples... Pick up in verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed. That is the kingdom of darkness. That is a kingdom hidden from the light of God. That's what grows and festers there like a fungus. And what does Jesus do? And he healed them. Jesus is coming to make all things right again. What is the kingdom of heaven? If we remember the whole story that we're finding this scripture in, the, the whole story of scripture, it begins in a place where heaven and earth occupy the same space. They collide together. And God, the king over all things, who created it all, made it, owns it all, it belongs to him. He creates a creature in his image, a representative, and he gives them authority and dominion over all the things he made for them. They are representative king and queen to the rest of creation because they are made in his image, reflecting his authority and his kingship. And, and now you have these image bearers of the king being paralyzed and ridden with sickness and disease and possessed by demonic evil forces. Something has gone terribly wrong. And so Jesus has come to heal them from that and bring us back into the kingdom to restore us as image bearers of God to carry the name and the authority of the king so that all the land that's filled with darkness would hear and receive good news and we can invite them in. Now listen, a lot of times what, what we hear in Christian circles is phrases like, what that looks like is that we are building the kingdom. And we never see that in scripture. Jesus never once tells his disciples, I want you to build my kingdom for me. In fact, he, he says, God is building his church. But he uses other phrases like, you can seek the kingdom. You can enter the kingdom. You can be welcomed into the kingdom. You can receive the kingdom. What Jesus is offering to us is come and enjoy what I have fulfilled for you, what I have accomplished for you. Imagine like creating a really, really good dinner party, right? And you've slaved away, you've made some really good food. 
please invite me. And you have the best meal possible. And, and you've just like decorated the place and it's beautiful. You set out all kinds of things and, and it's a welcoming environment and you welcome your guests. And then you tell your guests, hey, this, there's room for more. Call up your friends. Welcome them in too. And you pick up your phone and you're like, hey, guess what? I just made the best meal ever. Come and enjoy it. Or, or even, hey, we're making a really good dinner. Come and see what we've done. And a lot of times that's what we do when we enter into the kingdom is we start saying things like, we are doing this for the Lord. We are doing this for the kingdom. We are helping God build his kingdom. And scripture never says that. Enter in and receive it. Now, do you have a part to play in it? Yes. You get to call up your friends and invite them in too. Come and see this meal that has been set for us. Come and sit down with me. Come and receive with me. That's what we do as kingdom representatives in the dark world. We get to show and tell and share the story that the kingdom has come near. The same way John was preaching, good news, repent and believe the kingdom has come near. And Jesus says the same thing, repent, believe the kingdom has come near. The disciples, when the spirit fills them and they open up the shutters of the room they are hiding in and they tell about Jesus and the people say, well, what do we do about this? And he says, repent, be baptized because the kingdom has come near. I want to share with you another verse from Luke 17, uh, verses 20 and 21. Jesus is uh, being asked by some religious leaders who are standing around. Hey, Jesus, you've been talking about this kingdom a lot. You've been talking about this kingdom for a long time. Like, what's the deal? When's it going to come, right? And so once on being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed nor people will say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, there have been other translations of this that say the kingdom of God is within you. And in our language, in our vocabulary, in our, our context, we would then take that to mean like, oh, that means like it's, it's inside of me, personally, individually, and I just got to let it out for the world. But what that Greek word is, is entos hymon, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. And what it means is literally in your midst. It's among you. And Jesus said the kingdom is here right now to those Pharisees asking that question. Hey, when's this kingdom coming? And what he's saying is you don't even see it. I'm standing right here among you. Open your eyes. You guys, that's our role is to open our eyes to the kingdom and help others to open their eyes to see the kingdom. That, that as we display things that are kingdom-like through the power of the Spirit of God, what we're doing is we're simply peeling back the curtain and letting people peek through the window to see, oh, there is something better. And then we invite them in to the work that King Jesus is accomplishing on behalf of all of us. And so in Matthew 10, uh, you know, we talked about Verses, or chapters five through seven, he's teaching about the kingdom all through the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter eight, then he starts demonstrating it, just like we saw here at the end of Matthew four, right? 
He says, kingdom has come near. Then he starts healing people. So we see that played out in chapter eight. You know what happens in chapter nine is Jesus then starts forgiving people's sins, including a man named Matthew who later writes this book and welcoming them in. And then in chapter 10, he does a really interesting thing. He sends them out to do the same healings he had been doing in chapter eight. But he sends them with his authority, with his power. Well, Matthew four gives us that same thing. Jesus preaches the kingdom, and then we saw Jesus healing people, showing what the kingdom's like, and right smack dab in the middle, what does he do? He calls his disciples to come and follow him. We are invited into this kingdom work. And so this is what he tells his disciples in Matthew 10, verses seven and eight. He says, as you go, that sounds familiar, right? Those of you who know the Great Commission, he, he, he shares this again, Matthew 28, as you go, Make disciples of all nations. He says to this them, as you go, proclaim this message. It's the same message from John, same message of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, so you freely give. Missio Relentless, that is our call today. If you are in Christ, if you are in King Jesus, you are a brother and sister. We are children of God, our Father, but also His powerful Spirit is here in our midst, and He is calling us too to be kingdom demonstrators. As you go into your workplace, into your schools, into your neighborhoods, into your families, proclaim the good news. The king has come to make all things right. Leave your kingdom of darkness, the ones that you're building, and come into the kingdom of heaven because there is healing there and there is freedom there and there is joy there. And Jesus accomplished that fully for us, not by just coming and demonstrating, but by actually entering fully into, being immersed into what the kingdom of darkness had to offer by going to death himself, entering into the grave on our behalf, and then, just as he healed so many others when he walked this world, he himself rises victoriously and conquers it. The kingdom of light breaking through the darkness that on the third day, Jesus rises. And he's inviting us to come and join him. And so as we go to the table this morning, we remember that reality. The kingdom of darkness has been defeated. When we take the bread that's been broken for us, we remember his body was broken on our behalf. When we dip it in the cup, we remember his blood spilled. Jesus taking on full humanity and yet taking on and conquering the fullness of the kingdom of darkness. We take and we eat that and we remember he built this. He accomplished it with his body broken. And then we rejoice and we sing together because he did not stay there and he rose again victoriously, and we now all get to enter into the kingdom of heaven with him.